You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to my own ancestral helping spirits. I call out to all of those who lived well and died well before us and bring to us a great legacy of all the richness from their life, all that they learned, all that they struggled with, all that they barely prevailed upon, and all those things that they did with great, great beauty and self-expression. And we call out to these ancestors to be with us here today, yours and mine, that they might circle around and help the living to do what the living have come here to do. And with the ancestors gathered round us, let us reach our energy down from our hearts to our bellies, through our legs, into the earth, and take a moment and give thanks. Thanks for life. Thanks for this day. Thanks for the beauty and wonder of your life, even the parts that are ugly, painful, and are causing you suffering. For these are the gifts that are not yet unfolded, unwrapped, and realized. But all parts of this life are necessary. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought this transformative life together here on the face of this planet. We give thanks for home and place and grounding and belonging. We give thanks for the connection and the interconnection of the world in which we live. And we ask the wisdom of the earth to rise up, to bring to us that wisdom of manifestation. How do we live here in form in a good way? How do we bring these bodies to bear on the planet in a way that is good for all living things? So we draw the energy of the earth up into our bodies to enliven and restore and nourish our cells of our energy body. And we send the energy up from our heart and our head all the way out into the sky, which here today happens to be gloriously sunny for once in a very long time. And we send the energy up through the sky, through the atmosphere, and out into the cosmos. We let our energy caress and be caressed by the heavenly bodies until we reach all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we know that power, let us call that power down through all the layers of the sky into our day into our bodies, and into these proceedings. Let us draw this energy in as a way to call in blessing, as a way to call in generosity and protection, and as a way to call in the benevolence of this universe. We call in all the wisdom of the cosmos in this way and ask it to help us to find in our life the mentors and the champions that are necessary to help us to see the path that is unfolding and to walk it. So as we call the energy of the sky into our heads and into our hearts and allow it to mix here in our bodies with the exquisite energy of the earth, we let the earth and the sky dance within ourselves and know the great Taoistic big love of the yin and the yang, the earth and the sky moving and dancing within us. And with this energy enlivening each chakra within our body, let us call out to the spirit of the heart 
We call out the spirit of the heart to be with us here today and to open that crucible of change that is only the heart. We call out to that ability in the heart to hold the fiery, fiery, strong passions and desires of the lower chakras and to mix these energies in a good way with the crystal clarity inspiration that comes from the upper chakras and to bring these to bear together so that we find within ourselves this third magical energy, which is the reason that we are here. May we find in our hearts the courage to do what we have come here to do in this day. So with the spirits called in, the helping spirits gathering round, the ancestors gathering round, the earth below, the sky above, and the heart here in the center connecting it all, we give thanks for this day, for these gatherings. May what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard. And may all these things go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I'd like to give thanks to those living things called humans that are helping me to keep the show on the air and available to anyone who has access to a computer and the ability to listen and or download the shows. So I want to thank Astrid and Renata and Dustin who have donated in the past week. And if this show is meaningful to you in any way, and it uh, moves you in your heart, whether it moves you into inspiration and happy feelings or it moves you into frustration and things you need to think about and great consternation. It is still movement in the heart. And for this, we are very, very happy. This is why we are here, is to do what needs to be done so that people can find a way to trust and believe in and know that the path of life is the path of the heart. And this is what the shamans have been trying to tell us Uh, generation after generation after generation from the beginning. So this is the very core of shamanic teachings on our planet, which is uh, to allow yourself to be moved by the heart into action in your life. And so if you have the ability, we would appreciate your donations. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com to the support button and offer any amount, large or small. I got the funniest amount we've received so far, which was $3.17. I don't know why. It was a great amount of money. And you can leave any amount. It doesn't matter. Any meaningful or unmeaningful amount is just fine. And I also appreciate the ways people are helping the show to grow by talking about it, by sharing it with friends, by linking to it on their sites, and all of the many ways that we can help things to grow um, and disperse in cyberspace. Um, And speaking of cyberspace for the moment, I just want to let people know in general that my website, lastmasscenter.org, has been hacked. And it is currently selling Viagra. (laughs) And it also seems to mean that some of the emails coming to us through the website um, are not getting through. So if you've sent an email to Last Mass Center within the last couple weeks and you haven't received a response yet, um, you're in the hacker land of Viagra salespeople. So I apologize for that. Just email me and I will forward uh, your email to Andrea until we get things all sorted out. Sorry about that, everybody. But um, welcome to the present technological world. Um, So anyway, where were we? We were giving gratitude to all of you and all the many ways you're helping the show to grow. And I want to give thanks to Andrea for her question that inspired today's show. So today's show is a shaman sickness, initiation and the calling. Um, So we are live today for the show and um, you are invited to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. And of course, we are deeply grateful for co-creator uh, network and the lovely people that make it happen. 
<laughs> and uh, you're welcome to email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Um, and if you simply go to www.lastmasscenter.org, you will actually find my information. You will not be forced to buy, buy Viagra. But if you Google, you'll never get there or you'll get somewhere else. Um, so anyway, welcome to the world today. All right. So um, shaman sickness. So I'm going to do my best today to not get worked up about this topic because it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And it is also a topic that I spent a great deal of time writing as carefully as I possibly could about in the encyclopedia. There are um, many entries in the encyclopedia that are simply concepts. Um, There's a lot of entries that are about shamanic people and their practices, but also entries that are about concepts. And there is probably nothing more central to shamanism than this concept of the shaman's sickness or the initiatory illness and how that parses out into the call to the work and the training for the work and the actual initiation into the work and this i think was complicated enough in the olden days and it is ever so much more complicated now Um, but i'm going to do my best to just remain calm today and speak about it and not say things that i'm going to regret later (laughs) as i do on occasion on the show Uh, okay so the shaman's sickness for those who do not know refers to the specific physical or mental illness that results when spirit chooses a new shamanic candidate and possesses the candidate in such a way or takes that person's soul into the spirit world. So in other words, the initiatory helping spirit has finally broken through the sort of natural resistance in the person and is either present in the person creating an illness in present time or has drawn the person's soul out of the body to a degree causing illness in the body and an adventure for the soul. Um, But either way, and depending on which culture you talk about, they conceive of this in one or the other ways. But basically, it's either embodiment or um, soul loss, basically. Um, But the whole point is the initiatory helping spirit is making contact, finally. And um, so the sickness then that results from this contact, this initial contact, Um, doesn't respond to normal treatment, uh, nor does it progress like the normal illness. Um, The thing that we have to remember on a really practical perspective is the human body only can do so many things. It's, It's got a very narrow repertoire, actually, in terms of how it expresses itself um, physically. There's many ways to express it through movement and things like that. But in terms of the experience of the physical body, there's only so many ways it can deal with um, toxicity. And so the, the shaman's illness is largely a result of that. So the symptoms, because the, sh- because the body only has so many symptoms it can produce, the, the shaman's illness symptoms look a lot like other just physical ailment or mental ailment symptoms. But they don't respond normally the way those ailments, uh, those symptoms would respond if this was a regular old ordinary reality physical illness or mental illness. And all of this is very hard to say because one has to wonder whether there are any normal ordinary physical or mental illnesses. Um, You know, that's a debate in and of itself as well. But 
if I may. The point is the shaman sickness presents symptomology that looks like physical or mental illness, but it doesn't respond normally to the treatments for those illnesses. So the, this shaman's illness or initiatory illness may advance or retreat without reason, um, well, without external reason. So the people watching the person sick without reason from their perspective. And it may defy our understanding of how similar symptoms would normally function in the body. So I'm going to stop right here and just let people know that if you were to go to the first show that we did with Michael Dunning, who is the You Shaman, and his site is youshamanism.com and were to listen to that first show with Michael Dunning and it was part of the initiation series we did several interviews of different shamans about their initiation Michael Dunning's contemporary experience is um, classic ancient shamanic illness of being contacted by um, an initiatory spirit that he's not prepared to deal with and and slowly over the years, um, wasting his, his vitality, wasting away and um, taking every single possible test there is available through modern science and not testing as if anything is wrong. And yet the symptoms are present and progressing and he's dying in front of everybody's eyes. And then by fluke, which of course isn't a fluke, by coincidence, by the workings of spirit, Michael gets taken to a yew tree and this yew tree becomes the, the, the true teacher for him and teaches him, helps him to heal and through the healing, and this is over 10 years, through the healing teaches him to be a healer. So this is a, a real classic arc of shamanic um, initiatory illness through the training and the healing and ultimately coming out at the end of that process um, transformed from uh, human prior to the connection to novice during the connection to shaman coming out on the other side or, or a person capable of functioning as a shaman. So for those of you who are interested in this topic, I would suggest not only listening to that radio show, but looking at um, Michael's side and connecting to some of the places that he's spoken more uh, in more depth about that story, because it's the, it's sort of the classic definition of this experience. Um, But with that said, there are many different cultural expressions that are equally valid and equally accepted as the path by which someone comes into shamanism. If we look cross-culturally around the world. Okay. So, um, with all that said, I would like to bring in two other concepts for us to really being able to understand the, this process that happens to people from the illness or the initiatory experience, the call through the training and the initiation. Because sometimes these things come all together in one big experience. Sometimes they're phases of a process. And, you know, traditionally speaking, the, these are all valid the question that many of us are asking today is how do we make sense of it today where almost everyone's initiatory experience, if it actually is an initiatory experience, is happening outside of the context of a culture that recognizes and acknowledges and validates that experience. So it's confusing is sort of the bottom line there. Okay. 
and and made ever more complex by the fact that it can be misdiagnosed and very very heavily drugged um, or treated um, poorly in in at least in America and uh, thus further confusing a person who is already involved in an exceedingly confusing experience. So this is kind of the the realm I'm trying to pick my way through here today um, and do something useful. Okay, so these two other concepts that I think are really important for us to understand this whole experience in a lucid, sober, um, sane kind of way. Um, And so the first concept that we need to keep in mind always is that for every single human being on the planet, your soul and your life are constantly in a conspiracy, a great conspiracy actually, to wake you up to your soul's purpose. Whatever your soul's purpose is. So your soul and your life are constantly in this great conspiracy to get you to wake up. Now, there's a whole lot of people who are doing a great job ignoring this entirely. Right? There's a lot of other people who are trying to pay attention, figure out why am I here? I want to live a life of meaning, want to live a life of purpose. Um, I've achieved everything I ever imagined achieving at, by 35, and, and, and if this is all there is to life, I, I don't want to live it anymore. Where, where's, where's the heart? Right? So, so this, this experience is a human experience. It's not a shaman experience, but of course shamans are humans, at least the ones now are. The first ones weren't, but the very first ones weren't, but we are now. Those who followed are human. So this is a human experience. So what that means from a practical perspective is for any individual human to follow the path required to bring peace or healing or reconciliation to the disharmony or disease in their life is their path. So this idea that someone would get sick and the path of healing the sickness would transform them and bring them to a new place in their life is in and of itself human. It is not necessarily shamanic. Not every mental illness is a, sh- is a shamanic initiation trying to happen. Not every physical illness is. That, that Again, the body has a very narrow repertoire. This is what it does when it is in a state of disharmony, be it physical or emotional or mental or spiritual or all of the above. And that all can be happening for a regular, ordinary person who is simply far from their true path and their soul and their life are trying to course correct them and get them back on path, um, get them back on track. And, the, and if it's a big course correction, that usually is really messy. And it often involves illness. It often involves feeling absolutely certain that you're completely crazy. So these are normal human experiences for the contemporary human today Um, i'm not so sure it's normal and ordinary in the way we experience for someone who lived thousands of years ago where a healthy spiritual practice was expected of every adult and we were living more connected to community more connected to each other more connected to nature all of those things we talk about when we reflect on the past in its ideal state Um, i don't know i don't live i live then i live now And I can only talk about now. And now, for us, now, having a kind of illness as the sign that we need to get back on track is normal. 
It's not in and of itself extraordinary. So for all of us then, as we move towards that course correction and getting back on track with our soul's purpose, there will be the requirement to surrender aspects of our identity or our personality that we hold dear. There will be the requirement to release beliefs that until that very moment you were absolutely sure were reality and not a belief you could release, but just reality that you could do nothing about. And yet you're being asked by the need to heal or bring harmony to your life to let that belief go. That's normal. Okay? That in this in this process of reconciling with ourselves, the need sometimes to walk away from a life that we have created that has been lived to its logical conclusion and we realize that that conclusion is not acceptable for our soul or it is not enough for our heart to have to walk away from that life is not unusual. Now, the person who does walk away is somewhat extraordinary, but not completely. It, I mean, when I was looking on the internet, preparing for the show I did last month about living a legendary life, there's a lot of cool stuff out there on the internet. There's a whole bunch of people who have done exactly what I'm talking about right now and that have found a way to live big, to express their true selves, that have suffered and sacrificed in this huge course correction to get back on track in their life, and they have that life experience to teach from. And so, and it didn't make them a shaman. It made them more human. It made them a bigger, bolder, brighter, more authentic human. It made them happier. Gave them something to offer to the world. This in and of itself is not extraordinary. This is actually what we're all meant to do here. And so this path really then is for all of us. So that, that whole process may or may not make someone a shaman. But in and of itself, it doesn't define the making of a shaman. It defines the making of a human and potentially a spiritual adult, potentially, right? But my point is, this is an archetypal process that exists for humans, no matter how thoroughly they have let all the requirements of adult spirituality in their culture fall apart, no matter how flagrantly they disrespect the elders and don't initiate the young, no matter how much they ignore the spiritual nature of birth and death, no matter how much they totally give up all responsibility for crafting a culture that supports the souls of the human beings who are part of that culture, your soul and your life will continue to conspire to get you to wake up and do what you've come here to do in the life you've chosen to live in. Period. Welcome to being a human and enjoy it because of that. In that, there may be some people that through that process are also being called not only just into their humanity, but into their calling as a shaman. But that in and of itself is not enough to define it as a shamanic calling. So the other idea in this that we need to keep in mind to stay sober about this whole thing is that there is an old, old Taoistic understanding 
of how these real energies work in humans and how we as humans can avoid our own lying to ourselves, which then will keep us from lying to others. And this, this old Taoistic understanding is simply that we cannot lead where we have not followed. And so what this means in the context of what I'm talking about is that the shaman's sickness, the essence of the shaman's sickness is that the, the novice or the person who has been contacted by spirit and it is that initial contact that is causing the sickness, which may be condensed into a few days or may have been going on for years in the contemporary world because what's going on isn't being recognized accurately. So the shaman sickness then and that experience of that contact, the important thing about that is the person being contacted must find their way through that wilderness. You know, so the person must find the way mentally or physically to heal themselves. And they do that through that relationship they strike with that initiatory helping spirit. So in other words, if I have a physically manifest shaman's illness, I don't come into my role as a shaman by running around and getting healing for that that I come into my place as a shaman by forging a working relationship with the initiatory helping spirit who is causing the sickness and learning from them, in some cases, what is necessary to heal the sickness or simply accepting the relationship which may heal the sickness or demanding from them, you know, gaining enough in that relationship to be able to demand for them from them your health back. And so it's really important to not fall into one of the contemporary uh yeah, contemporary um flaccidness of how we approach this today, which is that that this statement, well that's just how it happens today. That, that, that throwing everything in the bucket and going, oh, well, that's just how it happens today. Because it's not how it happens today. It only happens in the old way. It just takes on different forms today. But if that function doesn't happen, in other words, if the individual person does not forge a working relationship with the initiatory helping spirit, then they have not done the fundamental piece of the shaman's sickness and and correlating shaman's wellness which is to find their way through their own sickness be it mental or physical or both and that is the essence of the or the crux of this issue so my point here in practice is that i um often connect with um people who are asking about, oh my goodness, you know, what do I do? This is what's happening to me. Um, You know, I've now found a shaman to heal me. Well, the problem with that is the shaman's sickness is, is absolutely and fundamentally about your relationship with your initiatory helping spirit. And by having others come in and heal us, 
we then usually become attached to the teachers. And that most practicing shamans are not, haven't thought enough about this to realize that our primary role with someone who's in their shaman sickness is not to assist them in getting out of it, but to assist them in getting into direct relationship with their initiatory helping spirit, whomever that might be. And so one of the ways we can do that, for example, would be to teach someone to journey and to support them in gaining whatever spirit help they need to be able to to journey to this initiatory helping spirit and find out what needs to happen to get their health back. Versus what most people re, uh, report to me, which is they met someone who was the first person who acknowledged that their illness um, might be spiritual or shamanic and not physical or mental. And they're so relieved to hear that, that they glom onto that person. And then that person proceeds to heal them through soul retrieval or this or that or the other thing, connecting them to their helping, to helping spirits, but not necessarily their initiatory helping spirit. And so in a sense, the very person who has embraced you and said your experience is not mental illness or your experience is not physical illness, that your experience is a shamanic illness, and here, let me help you to to work through this shamanically, that same person who's given you that enormous relief and affirmation and embrace is the very person who now leads you astray. Unless... That person has enough sense or the guidance from spirit to connect you directly to your initiatory helping spirit. So you and your initiatory helping spirit can find your way out of your shamanic illness, which is unique to you and your relationship with your initiatory helping spirit. And so this is, this is the real crux of this issue in today's world because there are a lot of practitioners practicing shamanic skills, shamanic techniques, and doing a reasonably good job with that for the general fare of people until they meet someone who is actually starting to wake up on their shamanic path further down the path than the practitioner. And the practitioner not being able to see that, not being able to recognize that this person who is suffering right now is actually closer to true initiation as a shaman than the practitioner is. So it's a very complex time right now to understand this. So my point is about this crux of the issue, without your ability to find your way through your illness, be it mental or spiritual, with your initiatory helping spirit, you do not gain that fundamental transform, transformation that allows you to truly function as a shamanic practitioner because there is no path more obscured for us than our own. And if we can find our own, then we can assist anyone else in finding theirs. So the challenge then today is that people can learn shamanic healing skills without ever having had or met their initiatory helping spirit 
or having even come close to that experience of that transformation with your initiatory helping spirit and finding your way through and out of your most terrifying moment. And it may be a long moment. It may be a moment that's gone on for years of mental health or physical problems because you didn't know how to get to the energy or the information that would help you figure out how to frame this in a way that you could connect with your, with your initiatory helping spirit. But this is the critical piece. Without you finding your path with your initiatory helping spirits, and this is the key that is seen in all traditional processes, not contemporary, but traditional, but without your ability to find your path, you do not gain that authority that comes, that authentic authority that comes from having followed so that you are now able to truly lead others. And this is the, the deep heart of this issue today in, in the contemporary world. <sighs> okay. So with that said, this little piece that comes from my experience. Okay. So I don't know anything about shamanism when my initiatory experience occurs and I meet my initiatory helping spirit and that entire three day experience. So I have mental illness. That is a break from reality for a sustained period of time. It has uh, previous to that were years and years and years of growing depression, growing uh, deeper and deeper and deeper at its low points um, and kind of higher and higher at the high points, but it only made crashing back into the depression harder. So I meet my initiatory helping spirit and my entire conceptualization of that experience as frightening and scary and all the many things that it was, was me in relationship with her and being tested by her and barely coming through that test in, in, in enough of a satisfactorily way that satisfactory way that she's willing to work with me. That's kind of the basics of it. Now, the important thing to understand is I did not see her in a journey again for a really long time. So my point is just because your first helping spirit that shows up in your journey is not necessarily your initiatory helping spirit. For me, none of the helping spirits that showed up in my initial journeys in the first couple years of journey were my initiatory helping spirit. I had to mature enough in, with the skills and the training phase of what I was doing to have enough sense to even ask the question, you know, where did that lady go? Why haven't I seen her? How do I get to her? Who is she? How does she fit in to this shamanic world that's really expanding all around me? And so it's important to, to, to have a deep understanding of this, that your helping spirits that show up as you learn to journey may or may not be your initiatory helping spirit. That you may need to ask to see that helping spirit in a journey. Because up until that point in time, that helping spirit just showed up whenever she wanted to, however she wanted to. It wasn't, didn't have, I didn't have any volition in that relationship like it was all her 
and just me flailing around. And so learning to journey allowed me to begin to ask questions, to get answers, to engage in what would be training, a phase of training. But it was many years before I realized I really need to talk to her to find out what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? What, 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 is, what is unique to my calling here? Because just doing shamanic healing techniques is not any more unique than just doing Swedish massage techniques or rolfing or brain surgery or any other group of techniques, right? And so I finally got, I needed to go find her again. And so then another phase of my training was my ability to find her, to get to her on my own, not just get hijacked by her whenever she decided to, but my ability to get to her and begin to work with her. So I hope that that is helpful for people in, in understanding that just because you can journey doesn't mean you're even talking to your initiatory helping spirit. And just because you're learning shamanic skills has, has nothing to do with whether or not you're actually called to be a shaman. And just because doing all of this feels good, it feels great usually, does not actually mean you found your calling. And that's the most challenging piece here. So for those of you that are listening to this show because you know in your bones that this is a shamanic sickness you are experiencing, then you need to open up to and surrender whatever aspect of yourself you need to surrender to find a direct connection to the initiatory helping spirit that is causing that sickness. So these are the kinds of things that I see when people come to me that haven't made the connection to their initiatory helping spirit, but they're continuing to progress in shamanism. And what I see is for all of the benefit that comes to them, all of the joy and the peace and the harmony that comes from doing shamanic work, especially when they're in the workshops, you know, when that shamanic work is being guided by someone else, for all of the the growing certainty that this play, this this shamanic work feels like home. This this is bringing me peace. This is helping me to reconcile the disharmony in my life. That in their life, things either remain in chaos or begin to build in chaos. Because the person is uh, growing technically, for lack of a better way to say it, but their connection, their own connection to their helping spirits is not growing um, commensurately, uh, appropriately with their technical growth. And one of the things we are not real conscious of, at least here in the States, in the United States, in terms of when we come into shamanic circle and work with particular teachers, is we are, we are close to completely ignorant about how much we are actually using the grace of that teacher's relationship with spirit to do what we're doing in that workshop. Because most people haven't put the time and energy into forging that kind of grace in their own relationship with their helping spirits, right? And so what, what is often happening for people, even those truly called to shamanism, if they haven't connected with their initiatory helping spirit, 
and don't know in a sense in that inner knowing who's running the show here who who am i being called into relationship with to do this work if they don't know that then you can grow technically but without your own sort of relationship with spirit growing commensurately and begin to create a critical imbalance in a person's life so that each step forward shamanically each shamanic healing each workshop um creates the benefit internally and yet the life continues to fall apart more and more and more uh, desperately and um this is really important for us to understand is that is a sign of a critical imbalance that is only being aggravated by continuing to go forward you know trusting that feeling that is felt that this is the right direction for me but without stopping the whole working with other people thing and and using the skills that you've learned to connect to your initiatory helping spirit and your soul's purpose what are you doing and who are you doing it with in your life okay i think i've made that point so if we look cross-culturally this whole issue of the shaman's sickness and whether or not it makes us a shaman really uh, is, is, needs to be a conversation about three parts of the process. One is the sickness, which is usually at least the call, that sort of first true contact with the initiatory helping spirit. And then there is a, there is a training phase and this is experienced differently in different cultures, but there is a training phase. It's not just about the fact that you have a gift. There is a training of that, the use of that gift. And without that training, which may purely be from spirit, but without that training and working that out, how that's going to work in the physical world, um, you will harm yourself. There is no gift that cannot harm us if we don't also understand the training of how to move that gift in a human body. And these gifts can be very, very damaging moving through us if we do not come to understand sort of the checks and balances and how to move these energies through our human body in a good way. And there are many people uh, in this practice that I have met who have kind of a kamikaze relationship with that whole situation and some of them feel that that's how the ancient people did it so this is how I'm going to do it that this is my gift and I'm just going to use it till it kills me kind of attitude and um, while that may be their perception about how it was in the past in the past people lived differently in the past, people saw these practitioners working from the time they were children. In the past, people lived in a way that was connected, that had a checks and balance on each other because they were stuck in community together and there was a certain amount of maturity that was simply required or you just couldn't be part of the community. That, that there were many different dynamics in everyday ordinary life in the past that allowed a person to be guided by their gift and do so in a good way for themselves and others. It wasn't this kamikaze act that it is today. And I see it in my clients that come 
I know I'm called to be a shaman. I have this gift. I have this Native American family line, and this is what they've all said, that if you've got the gift, it'll teach you. And so, blah, you know, here I am. And I'm like, well, okay, if that's true, why are you here? Why are you in my shaman's room asking for help from me? And the reason is two things. One, they don't know who their initiatory helping spirit is. They don't have a direct relationship with that initiatory helping spirit. And they have no training about how to use their gift. And so they are trashing their life as they flail around with this romantic idea that is a misunderstanding of what's being handed down from these romantic ideas about the past and what people did with their gift of being shamans. I think it's really important that we don't die of our clients' illnesses. That's a really sane boundary to have as a practitioner. Don't die of your clients' illnesses. Don't take things on and don't get in to healing um, processes. You cannot do just you and your helping spirits. That in the past, in traditional shamanism, shamans said, I can't do this, frankly, without dying. Or bringing damage onto my family. So I need to call Bob over here from the next community, Shaman Bob, and get Bob to come help me. And oh, crap, you know, Bob and I aren't even enough with all of our helping spirits. Let's call Jane from the community over there and call Jane and her helping spirits in. Shaman Jane, come on over. And they work together. You know, the spirit canoe here in the Pacific Northwest was often three, five, seven shamans. So this this idea that we're going to throw ourselves on the sword of our gift for the good of humanity is ignorant. So who is your initiatory helping spirit? Forge that relationship and do not go one step further in your presumption to practice shamanism until you know that and you are in direct communication with that helping spirit and that you understand that call that you find your way through your wilderness, through your illness or your mental illness. Two, accept the training that spirit offers, which may involve spirit guiding you to other people's training. So it's perfectly legitimate to go learn the skills and the techniques from other human shamans. That's been done all over the world for forever. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And that that may be the most expedient way for your helping spirits to get you to learn what you need to learn. That was the truth in my case. It wasn't the truth in Michael's case. Back to Michael Dunning and you shamanism. He learned from a tree. <laughs> Bless his heart. He learned from a tree for God's sakes. Right? So it doesn't have to be humans. But if your helping spirits guide you to hum- humans to learn things, that's the most probably the most efficient way to learn those things. But they need to be training, training for how do you come to know your gift? How does your gift fit into the skills and the techniques? And how do you begin to express your uniqueness, which comes not only from your gifts, but from your relationship with your initiatory helping spirit? So I had this experience recently that illustrates this whole thing about your gifts and your initiatory helping spirits. 
so recently in my own little personal life, uh, my partner's parents have been here. He's working on his dad's back to try to help him to heal. And his parents are, are feeling pressure and stress because they've been living with us for a week and our lives are very busy and they think they're in the way. But, but the healing process really isn't ready for them to go. But they're leaving anyway because they feel like they're imposing on us and they need to go. And I don't really know my partner's parents very well. And so I'm a little bit shy about this. But I can feel this pressure building. And that, and that my partner and his parents are in their family pattern. And I'm not part of that family pattern. And I, I can feel it building like a storm. Nobody's anxious. Everybody's happy. Everybody's loving. Everybody knows what's going on. But the choices that are being made are not the right choices for the path that needs to unfold for the healing. And I'm trying to figure out from my partner, and it's kind of a new relationship, and I don't know what my permission is really is to butt in and all of this. And I don't really know what I'm supposed to say, what I'm supposed to not say. Does he want me to just help? Does he want me to shut up? You know, I'm trying to navigate those waters, right? Everyday, ordinary life, welcome to family, right? So we, we come in, and we're all in the kitchen, and they're saying, we got the car packed. We're getting ready to go. And my initiatory helping spirit, who happens to be a destroyer goddess, which I'm sure is no surprise to any of you. So she's a destroyer goddess. She just jumps into me and blurts out of my mouth, why the hell would you do that? You're going to get in the car and drive all the way back home and ruin all the healing that's already happened. Why don't you just stay another week and wait till the healing's in a place that you can sustain on the drive home? Absolute silence. Everyone's staring at me. And I'm thinking, personally, just me, Christina, oh, shit, right? My helping spirit is standing there with her arms crossed looking very self-satisfied. And everything unfolded from there. The little destroyer goddess energy came in and destroyed the little family system pattern that was going on, just blew it up right in everybody's face. And then everybody actually asked the questions they really wanted to ask. Well, is it really okay for us to be here? Do I really need another week? Is it really going to make that much difference? Or am I just an old man and it's never going to get fixed? You know, all of these things unfolded that were perfectly normal, but everybody was afraid to say it. And so little destroyer goddess then backs off. She's done her job. But that's the thing of being in relationship with your initiatory helping spirit is when that helping spirit's gifts to humanity are needed, you become the vehicle for that. And that may mean for you as a shamanic practitioner, you're not ever going to do soul retrieval work, or at least you're not going to do it well, because it's not your initiatory helping spirit's thing. So part of this process is to, once we gain the skills enough to connect to our initiatory helping spirit, to gain our relief and our affirmation and our sense of ourself and our true path, not from the circles of shamanic groups that we participate in, but from our ongoing and growing relationship with our initiatory helping spirit. Not that we shouldn't connect with shamanic community, not that we shouldn't build it, not that we shouldn't participate in it. But we need to not draw our definition of ourselves as a shaman, our sense of ourselves as a shaman, and our permission to be a shaman externally. 
We need to have that coming internally from our own respond to the call. And the call is the call not of the people, but of our initiatory helping spirit to use our bodies to give their medicine to the people. And it's important to understand that. It's not about you. It's about your initiatory helping spirit and the relationship that you forge. And then there's the training. So you learn to do that in a way that is healthy for you and brings vitality and brings abundance to you. One of the things about the many of the native people here in the Pacific Northwest and up further north into Canada is potlatch was an important part of their um, traditional cycle of the year because the shamans and the leaders gained a great deal of wealth throughout the year. Their lives were very much or in a kind of harmony and abundance and really moving beautifully with a life in balance in, in an abundant world. And so the potlatch was an opportunity for them to give all that extra stuff back to people and to share the wealth back out into the community so the whole cycle would start over again. If your life is falling apart as you're becoming a shaman, you need to be careful what that's really about because it could very well be the sign that while you are gaining in skills, you are not developing your relationship with your initiatory helping spirit and your soul's purpose, but you are following a format that's being handed to you by people. Shamans, though they may be, it's still people. And your relationship as a shaman is with your helping spirits, not your techniques and not your human teachers. Which brings us to the third part of this process, which is initiation. So traditionally, for some, the call, the training, and the initiation come in a very condensed period of time in an altered state, um, like in Australia and some vision quests and different cultures where there's the break from reality, the being taken uh, by the helping spirits, being trained, and it feels as if time goes on and on and on forever, but the person's really just gone for three days or seven days or 14 days or whatever, and they come back with that training. And they, are, and they are initiated by the spirit and then sent back into ordinary reality. They come back into their body fully. They return to their people. And then there is usually some sort of signifying initiation or ceremony or something that acknowledges the successful completion of that journey for the person with the people. So it's acknowledged. So the initiation occurs internally. You pass, essentially, your, your initiatory helping spirit passes you, basically. You, you, you are acknowledged in that internal relationship. And then usually, traditionally at least, you would have been acknowledged externally, either by the shamans that you are studying with, by your people, something. I mean, part of the challenge and the reason this process remains a little bit incomplete in the contemporary world is because often initiations do run their course and there's no one there to say, yeah, cool, great, here, I toast you. Like There's no ceremony, there's no acknowledgement, there's no even recognition of what has happened. It took me years to understand what my initiation was and what had happened and what that meant I needed to do about it because there was no one there to tell me. No one there to reflect it back to me. No one there 
to acknowledge it. No one there to congratulate me. Nothing. Um, and then another really, really important thing for us to understand, and this is, goes back to the beginning of the show, when I talked about not allowing the shamans you find in the contemporary world that give you relief from your shaman's illness to lead you away from your initiatory helping spirit. Because it's important for us to understand, just like we need to understand that there are miscarriages, there's lots of miscarriages in the process of birth and babies. It's natural. There are lots of miscarriages in the initiation of shamans. That it is not uncommon for someone to experience that call from spirit, to have the shaman's illness, to go into that experience, however it's defined culturally, and to have it and to not succeed in its completion. That's not unusual. And it is certainly not unusual today because it's even more challenging because the process is even less understood, um, more interrupted, and we're less prepared to embark on it given the way we're raised, at least in America. So, so the idea that the shaman's sickness and that whole process that would bring someone ultimately to initiation doesn't complete or doesn't succeed in that complete transformation is not unusual. And traditionally, people died. Traditionally, people came out mad, crazy in a real sense, in a way that wasn't really curable. The important thing is that the person, if they did come out, they were respected and honored for the fact that they had a profound relationship with spirit. But there's one thing you never did, which was let them interpret that relationship. Because without your ability to find your way through your wilderness, through your sickness, through your mental illness, your physical illness, you do not get the transformation necessary to accurately interpret these experiences with spirit. So there is a vast distinction between being a wide open channel or connection for spirit and the ability to accurately interpret what any of that means. And so these three things are critically important. If you are wondering if your experience is perhaps a shaman sickness, these three things are essential that you find with spirit in your life, which is who, is who is initiating you by creating that spirit sickness? What is the training that you need to bring that spirit's energy and your soul's purpose to bear in your practice? And have you made your way down that path yourself such that your initiatory helping spirit acknowledges your initiation? And then can you function in a way in the world that in a sense demands that others acknowledge that initiation? And this is the challenge for us as contemporary people in a vastly broken system of responding to the call, connecting with our initiatory helping spirits and bringing the medicine in to heal the people. So thank you everyone for listening to me here today. I want to give thanks to my initiatory helping spirit and her vast patience with me and her very sharp pointy stick for poking me to do what I need to do repeatedly. 
I give thanks to my ancestors and to your ancestors, some of the ancestors that have gathered around us here today, thanks to the earth below and the sky above, and to the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week.